because of supply uh, issues that could be caused by a conflict in the Ukraine. But more importantly, it's really just that tension uh, and the unknown. What could happen? What, uh, you know, when military uh, action uh, starts, it's hard to determine how it's going to end. Uh, so all of those things just add to the additional volatility that investors are now dealing with. So it's certainly not a positive, that's for sure. But we don't know exactly how it's going to play out. And that in, in and of itself creates that uncertainty in the market. We've seen investors react to all of this by switching out of high price growth stocks uh, into value plays. Do you think that's going to continue? I think that's been the, that's been the theme for probably the last uh, three to four months. I don't think it's a new one, but I think it probably accelerates some of that rotation. We've already been seeing rotation out of growth into value, and I suspect that'll continue. It's probably accelerated a little bit, and you're probably not seeing a lot. You're just seeing um, right now because you're just seeing volatility across the whole matrix. So, But, yes, that rotation's been happening, and it'll continue. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Talk to you again very soon. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just give you that final update again uh, on the markets. The, uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, currently up about two-thirds of one percent. Uh, the Cosby, though, is down slightly, down about half a percent. Uh, futures markets indicating a gain of 150 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this week. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. That'll be the final Money Talk before the Chinese New Year holidays. Back chats coming up after the news with Andrew Work and James Ockenden this morning. Uh, The weather forecast uh, for today, it's going to be mainly cloudy, misty at first, sunny intervals in the afternoon, maximum temperature of around 21 degrees, and then temperatures are going to fall appreciably tomorrow night. It's 18 degrees right now, 93% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. A representative of local businesses has welcomed the reduction in quarantine for overseas arrivals from 21 to 14 days, which takes effect from Saturday next week. But George Cotherley, who's the vice pre- chairman of the International Chamber of Commerce, says two weeks is still too long to encourage inbound business travelers. He told RTHK that the government needed to come up with a roadmap to quarantine-free arrivals. Meanwhile, the government says a new updated version of its Leave Home Safe app will make it easier for people to prove their COVID inoculation status in order to gain admission to premises covered by the vaccine pass. Natalie Ching explains. After scanning into a venue, the app will automatically display a blue QR code of the user's electronic vaccination record or an exemption certificate issued by a doctor. If the user has neither of these things, the display will be red. Another change to the updated app will see a timer on the display once the user has scanned a venue's QR code. The government said not only does the upgrade allow easy checking of a user's duration of stay, it also prevents anyone from using screenshots to enter a venue and thereby helps venue operators to verify the authenticity of the app. The statement urged people to update Leap Home Save via the relevant app store and not to delete or reinstall it. This way, the previous visit records will be retained. 
Residents of Yat Kwai House at the Kwai Chung Estate are able to leave their housing block this morning after an extended five-day lockdown came to an end. Over the five days, more than 14,800 tests were carried out and 139 confirmed cases were found. And a lockdown at the, at the Anshun building in Kuntong has been lifted after about 300 people were tested and no positive cases were found. Anybody who can show proof of having been tested is now able to leave the building. Overseas, the United States has urged China to use its influence with Moscow to discourage any Russian invasion of Ukraine. A U.S. State Department official, Victoria Nuland, said if there was a conflict in Ukraine, it wouldn't be good for China either. She said Western countries stood side by side in their approach to the crisis. As the president said earlier this week, we are unified, unified in our preference for diplomacy. But we are also unified in our resolve that if Moscow rejects our offer of dialogue, the costs must be swift and severe. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with James Ockenden and me, Andrew Work. Today is Friday, January the 28th. Today, we are talking about child care and child protection in Hong Kong and looking ahead to the Winter Olympics. Heads up, we are discussing abuse of children, and some listeners may find this difficult to listen to. Please consider yourselves warned. We're discussing this because preliminary findings from an investigation into alleged abuse at a foster home in Prince Edward suggested that the management must have been aware of the the alleged abuse, but did little to stop it. The Independent Review Committee said staff had routinely subjected children under their care to rough physical treatment. The committee looked at security camera footage and found at least 10 incidents, which it said amounted to abuse. We're talking about kids being slapped, kicked, shaken, thrown against padded walls, and having their ears pulled. The director of the Society for the Protection of Children and the superintendent of the children's residential home run by the society have now resigned. The investigating committee is making recommendations that we will review and will discuss if the recommendations will stop the abuse or if there is a deeper systemic rot. After 9.15 a.m., we'll talk about the Winter Olympics 2022 in Beijing, which get underway next Friday, February the 4th. Let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call at 2338-8266. And a serious, serious topic today, but fortunately we've got uh, people who are really getting to the heart of the matter here on Backchat today. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, our two starting guests. More will join later. We're, go- we're joined by uh, Priscilla Loy, who's a member of the Commission on Children. Good morning, Priscilla. Good morning. And we're also joined by Lester Huang, who is the chairman of the Independent Review Committee. Uh, he's also a managing partner and co-chairman of PC Wu & Co., uh, one of Hong Kong's oldest and most respected law firms. Lester Huang, good morning. Andrew, good morning. Good. Um, Lester, uh, serious topic today. Can you give us an overview of what has happened and why we are here and what your committee has uncovered? The uh, whole thing started with a complaint from an anonymous uh, neighbor of the uh, society who saw the uh, workers um, pretty much rough handling the children in a playground. And so this was looked into, uh, reports were made to the police, and uh, the society's ex-go then set up an independent uh, review committee, which I'm now chairing. Uh, We released our report a couple of days ago, and... um, 
essentially we have um, um, found that there has been a lot of rough handling uh, on the part of um, the childcare workers. Uh, and uh, in some instances, this has been serious enough for us to suspect there's been child abuse. Uh, all instances there have been reported to the police, and uh, I understand that they are going over um, a month's worth of uh, multi-camera footage, and um, arrests have been made. Yeah. And and uh, what is what is the remit of the committee? I mean, how many people are on it, and? How much, how, many, how much power and how many resources have you been able to commit to reviewing the evidence on hand? Well, there are six of us. Um, there is a pediatrician, there are a couple of social workers, there is also a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Uh, myself, um, I come with it, uh, with a law background. Um, we have spent the best part of three weeks looking at this thing. Sure. And um, uh, if you look at the... Uh, footage that is available, um, there's no way that we could have uh, reviewed all of that. Mm. The society has, in fact, uh, uh, engaged another company uh, to help go over the footage. Um, but because there are over 50 cameras in the premises, and uh, they're on 24 hours a day, so if you just multiply that um, for a one month's worth of uh, footage, um, you know, you know, you're looking at uh, hundreds of thousands of hours there. Um, so, uh, what we have done is we've looked at excerpts of, of this, and um, we've identified where there has been abuse, um, and uh, the, the consultant that has been looking at this has found more, and uh, all of these have been um, uh, given to the police. So, how many hours have you actually reviewed over those thousands of hours that, uh, of CCTV footage? There would have been uh, on and off um, over... 20 hours maybe, yeah. But these are all excerpts, so you know they've been highlighted to us already. So uh, we're not looking at just um, you know uh, blank uh, rooms which are empty. I mean, the, uh, mm -hmm. this is uh, this has been a very engaging exercise. Right. So it's, it sounds like you've just climbed onto the uh, the tip of the iceberg that's that's sticking out of the water and, and identified there is an iceberg and somebody else is going to get to the rest of it. Gotcha. Priscilla Loy, uh, you're with the Commission on Children. Is this within your remit to look at these sorts of incidences? And are you worried that it might spread beyond this one facility? Uh, definitely so. In fact, in one of the recent meetings, I've raised that um, the Commission on Children has an important role to play uh, in situations as this or in the prevention of situations like this from further happening. Uh, with other agencies. And I, I think the, um, the, while reading the initial report, the feeling is really a shock and it's astounding and saddening. And, and the, the saddening part as reflected in the report is that there were errors, failures, omissions, uh, and particularly at all levels of the organization, from the exco, the director, management, the superintendent, and of course the frontline staff. And I, I would like to add that uh, there are bystanders who must have, uh, as believed so uh, probably by the investigation team, um, that, that, that they have observed or witnessed acts like that. And to, to start with, as um, Mr. Wong uh, mentioned about the neighbors reporting, and, and I think we should start with the neighbors. 
who have been concerned of such acts termed rough conduct or rough acts were considered abusive. And it's abusive enough, concern enough for a neighbor to actually write or contact the agency. I think, first of all, we have to properly acknowledge and thank the neighbor. And we need to be a little bit uh, feel at ease because the community is gradually changing to see such erroneous trends or belief as being abusive, not merely uh, for the interest or safety of children. And I think that's an important start. Yeah. James? Uh, Priscilla, I mean, the, the founding remit of the Commission on Children is, was the protection of children. So, I mean, do you think in, in the four years the Commission has been around, you've done enough to protect children? And what, what could you have done in this case to perhaps root this out before uh, a neighbour spotted it? Um, first of all, as a child advocate for, for quite some time, or among child advocates, uh, it being there for quite some time, We've been urging for a commission for children, which is a platform um, to be effective. Um, it needs to be transparent in the first place, uh, mandatory, supported by uh, the, the mandate, and not just merely consultative or advisory. But being consultative and advisory and under the government uh, uh, umbrella, I think very often effective kind of proposals, important proposals have not been thoroughly uh, carried through. And like this particular situation, um, for such an important case uh, to be found in Hong Kong and shaking up the community's confidence in terms of child protection and child care service, which is something we would never want to see. Because after all these years' hard efforts, I think advocates and service providers have been working very hard um, towards the essence of the Convention uh, of Child's Rights that we have brought into Hong Kong some 25, more than 25 years ago. So we, we do believe and we do support the uh, international kind of commitment of honoring the best interests of our children. But as the report indicated, that that has not been so. And children have been badly handled. Um, and I, I would really like um, Mr. Wong to explain what actually are those rough behavior, rough acts considered, the fine line, haven't passed into being abusive. Lester Huang, would you, would you like to answer that? I'm sure there are a lot of parents so, out there wondering if they've crossed that line. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that uh, um, Priscilla is absolutely right when it comes down to saying that uh, anyone who grabs a kid by the collar and, you know, throws the kid against the padded wall, that kind of conduct is certainly abusive. There's no question about it. Um, the thing is that uh, apart from that, the culture of the uh, residential home has seen that these childcare workers, in fact, are going about their work in a very, very rough way. Um, so when they're, you know, a simple thing like just wiping the face of a kid with a wet towel, um, you know, I describe the action as more like wiping a car, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're very, very roughly just going over um, this with a rag. Um, and, and, you know, the, the children are um, not handled in a tender or a, a loving way at all. Um, they want to get a job done, and
and they are doing it in the most expeditious way, regardless of how the children might feel. Um, I think that this is a culture among the workers that has built up. And, and the sad thing for me is that um, where the other workers see that there is wrong that is happening, they take a totally oblivious attitude. They, they, they go about their work as if they don't see it. Mm. And they're just all part of it. Do we, so, see, do we see a sort of case like that uh, Stanford prison experiment, you know, which, is, which has been debunked, but you know, where, where some bad people, their sort of culture then tends to rub off on the newer people who might have been perfectly good childcare people when they joined, but then the, the culture just dragged them down? That is correct. Um, we, in our, in our report, the full report, uh, we describe this as the broken windows theory. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's, it's, it's a whole setting where, um, because I'm not going to get caught for doing a wrong, uh, I can go on to do an even you know, more serious wrong, mm -hmm. and uh, I will still not get caught. Uh, so that's the atmosphere that's built up in the uh, home. Lester, uh, with the report, I mean, I guess the other thing that could happen, apparently they had very, very high turnover. Could it be that people that were not comfortable with it were quitting early and leaving, so you ended up with a concentration? The, the only people that would stay were people that have that lack of uh, empathy or caring in them? Yes. Um, the turnover rate was um, it, it, such that only about 30% um, of the people who are left have more than three years experience mm. okay so um, there are a lot of new people and um, we looked at uh, the records of the exit questionnaires that staff were given and identified a couple of people we wanted to talk to and one of them did confirm that uh, she actually left because she could not put up with the rough handling that she was seeing she could not be part of that and when she was um, um, you know, expressing a little more tender care. Um, her colleagues would tell her, don't do that, because otherwise the kids are going to ask for more and we will be very busy. Now, um, you know, it, it, this, is, this is a totally um, unacceptable kind of um, approach to childcare. Uh, these children are under three and they need every minute of our attention mm -hmm. and care. Did yeah. no one report that, though? I mean, none of the other staff, or the, that, that staff member felt no need to report that to management, or did they report and it was ignored? It was reported, but uh, that's how we do things here. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh, Lester Huang, I'm, I'm conscious of uh, being respectful of your time, and I know you've got to go a little early today. Uh, I think we could have you back on to discuss uh, further development of the report and whether or not its recommendations are implemented in the future. But thank you very much for coming on the show today. Lester Huang, Chairman of the Independent Review Committee, uh, also Managing Partner and Co-Chairman of PCWU. Thanks, Lester. Uh, we'd also like to welcome to the show now Anthony Wong, who's a Business Director with the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. Anthony, good morning. Good morning. Anthony, uh, you're on right now with Priscilla Loy from the uh, Commission on Children. But Anthony, uh, the Hong Kong Council of Social Services, you know, obviously you are quite often the front line going into people's homes. Uh, but are these types of institutions not part of your remit? Are they outside of your, your realm? Well, uh, our council is actually an umbrella organization of NGOs. We do not provide direct service. We just, you know, uh, network with uh, a lot of NGOs and, you know, understanding about the service uh, provision as a whole. So we do not provide direct service. But we are also very concerned uh, very much 
uh, about this incident because of the mishandling of the children. I think uh, Priscilla and Lester has been has been describing the situation very well. I think at the moment uh, we are very much concerned with the people with the, with the children and also the parents uh, involved because this is a hard time and the uh, uh, all the uh, measures. Uh, including the resignation of the uh, senior management, or also the uh, the uh, the action taken on the uh, staff, the frontline staff, we are very much concerned uh, with how the children and parents are being handled now. So uh, we have already expressed that if, in any case, the organisation would like to seek any help from the sector or from the council. We'll see what we can do uh, to help them to, uh, you know, go through this difficult time uh, in the interest of the children and the parents. Yeah. Anthony, the uh, what was your view on the recommendations of the committee? Because there's quite sweeping recommendations, and mm-hmm. I guess I don't know how many of those will be sort of best practice, and how many of those might be a little bit over best practice. And so I, I'm <laughs> interested in your view, and you know, is this going to push up the cost of being an NGO? Yeah, uh, I think the uh, we. We, I think all the recommendations are, some of the recommendations are actually something that the entire sector has been advocating for. Like in this incident, I myself is very much concerned with uh, not only about the management and also the monitoring of the services, but also on the, uh, uh, the, the quality and also the quantity of the staff team. Uh, we've been talking very much about uh, many uh, much about uh, uh, how much uh, workload, as the report has already indicated. Some of the staff, uh, some you know, uh, we all understand that the workload is high, but uh, this is not uh, an excuse for uh, for this kind of uh, uh, behavior, criminal behavior. Uh, but uh, we are also very much concerned with the quality of the staff, particularly in, uh, in, at the frontline level, because now we've been seeing that a lot of uh, childcare workers working on the frontline, taking care of the children, they may not have received uh, enough, uh, uh, you know, a professional training. Uh, what I'm most concerned with is not just about knowledge and skills, but also as a social worker myself, I think when we were train as a social worker. We spend a lot of time on how we should train up their value conviction and also the attitude, that kind of thing. But I'm not sure how much the, this kind of training uh, was included in the child care worker training, particularly those uh, who are in the front, front line. Yeah. And concerning the agency level, I think, of course, uh, we are very much concerned with uh, how this, particularly in a residential setting, because these are, you know, usually not very visible to the community. Mm. So uh, I think the agency will have to, you know, strengthen the uh, manpower on how we should uh, monitor. Yeah. And of course, the uh, regulatory regime like this uh, social welfare department, I think they should, they should send more staff uh, to, uh, to monitor them, not just in a regular basis, but maybe you can do some certain checks or something like that. Well, I mean, this is one of the issues right now. The government's all work from home, and they've been on multiple work from home. <laughs> Inspections are not happening. Priscilla Loy, yeah. uh, Priscilla Loy, you're, you're the Commission for Children. You're looking at the NGO sector, the government actions. I mean, is there going to be a spotlight turned on all similar organizations now? Like, should people be, frankly, panicking if you're running one of these organizations and looking very deeply at 
what's going on in your own your own organization? Well, I've been calling for a comprehensive kind of review, uh, jointly with the service field. Um, I think it's a merely from top to bottom kind of um, uh, uh, policy has not been working very well. We need to um, work really seriously jointly with the service providers, with those in the forefront. As the forefront, as mentioned, have been shouldering tremendous kind of workload. And um, uh, as a member of the um, Commission on Children, uh, I've been urging for such review and also for children and parents to be properly involved. I think particularly for such young children and for families with such, um, how should I say, saddening background, very often they will be put aside, scrap under the carpet. So things are just done for them. They are considered, like um, Mr. Wang mentioned, like an object rather than a human being. But in the entire process of investigation, I'm not sure whether anyone has actually gone to talk to children, to see children, but in a professional way, and involve or inform the parents, the family. And I've heard that through the process, some of the, the uh, parent or family members said we have not been informed, not even before social welfare department. So th- there must be some reason or, or some so, so inappropriate kind of way of doing so. That kind of uh, culture needs to be addressed specifically. And one point I would like to raise, um, in the commission and also outside the commission, because in the commission we can share, we can urge, we can write. We did meet members, meet and send in proposals, but that's in the commission. And whether that it has been sort of brought out is one thing and actualized. One thing is the childcare service sector, whether the community has attached paramount um, importance to it, to see the importance or to purely think that it's just child care. It's very young children. It's an easy job. So we can have anyone without any, any proper support or sufficient support in order to provide it. But obviously, this is not so. So, uh, and why is that uh, heavy or high turnover rate in agencies? I think the work ethics has, been re- has to be reviewed, and the work satisfaction or the work contribution of staff and the rewarding system in terms of salary or, or any other kind of acknowledgement needs to be reviewed and improved. But Priscilla, having did... said that, that doesn't justify such cruel or inhuman acts of anyone in the agency, either bystanders uh, witnessing such knowing such, but not acting such. Priscilla, are you saying we need, a, we need a commission for children, not the commission on children? Is the commission on children not set up right? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying from the first day of the meeting that it needs to be supported by the law, that makes statutory independent in order to function. And it needs to be made transparent. And I do appreciate for this investigation to make the report and the situation transparent. It's a positive move. So I I continue to cry out for a proper commission, a proper channel representing the best interests of children and being supported by mandate to end. Yeah, Yeah. this is is something that uh, the entire sector 
on childcare services has been uh, asking for when uh, the first time uh, the Convention on Children has been proposed in the uh, platform of the current administration. Uh, that uh, we actually demanded that there should be statutory power of the Commission to investigate whenever there is this kind of case or whenever there are child abuse cases which deserve or which uh, draw attention from the public. If there is such an independent statutory power uh, commission to look into the case, uh, that would help a lot. So we shouldn't uh, have a law firm looking into this, we should actually have a government commission looking into this? Absolutely. but uh, look at this. If uh, you have this, uh, we have a, a, a commission on uh, 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 equal opportunity commission. Like they have the statutory power to look into individual cases. If there is such a uh, mechanism, I think even for the parents, for the for the service user, if they encounter any ill treatment or maltreatment in the agency. They can go to. They of course can go to the SVD or go to the agency to complain. But there, there is another statutory body that they could go for, and that would represent an independent power to look into the case. That is something that we should. I think we should uh, think about more. Okay, uh, Anthony. Uh, I know you're going to be staying with us for the second half of the show, sure, so sure. we're gonna we're gonna uh, you know welcome you to do that. Priscilla Loy, the from the Commission on Children. Thank you very much for joining us on the. Uh, first half of the show today. Uh, keep up the work, and, and you know, maybe we'll, we will see a, a strengthened body uh, for keeping an eye on children in Hong Kong. Clearly, something is needed. Uh, I'd like to let everybody know that we are going to have Robin Hammond, the Executive Committee Chairman of the Hong Kong Society for the Protection of Children, the organization at the center of this issue. He's agreed to come on the show, uh, so things are going to definitely be interesting for the second part of the show today. Uh, We're going to give you the weather before we go to the news today. Mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches, misty at first. Our maximum temperature is going to be 21 degrees with moderate to fresh fresh easterly winds. Uh, Right now, the temperature is 18 degrees Celsius and the humidity is 93%. Chad, I'm Andrew Work uh, here today with James Ockenden in the studio. And we have with us right now Anthony Wong, who's the business director from the Hong Kong Council of Social Services, who was with us for the first part of the show. Uh, And we are now joined by Robin Hammond, the executive committee chairman of the Hong Kong Society for the Protection of Children. Uh, Good morning, Robin. And I'm sure we'll get Robin's mic fired up. Uh, but I do have a couple of emails that I want to get to. Uh, the first one's from Simon, and it's, it's a bit of a cri de coeur. Uh, he, he says, what happened at the children's home is simply awful to imagine. But my guess is that this is not an isolated incident. I can't help but feel that Hong Kong has lost its empathy as a society. Uh, we see, he's, for him, it started during the 2019 protests. We see with our own eyes the increase in poverty and homelessness, and he lays the blame with the government. Well, he says, when I moved to Hong Kong, I was shocked at how little the government does to help people. The evidence for this is found when you look at the number of NGOs that Hong Kong has that suggest they're filling a massive hole left by the government. Finally, looking at the data for philanthropy and look at how low it is in Hong Kong relative to other places. I hope all of this can change, but I'm afraid we may continue along the same path. From Simon, thank you for contributing. Uh, and from Fielding, I guess is a name, uh, Resigning shouldn't be a get-out-of-jail card. At the top of the show, we, we identified some of the, the resignations uh, at the top of the organizations in this. He continues, as always, Hong Kong has minimal accountability. 
And why spend more time reviewing footage? It's obvious with complaints being phoned into, delay with reviews, spend money, and hope it all dies down. It's the Hong Kong way. So depressing. Uh, Robin Hammond, you're with us this morning? I hope you can hear me now, yes? Yes, I can. Robin Hammond, uh, a suggestion from the person writing in that, that, uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, he's he's kind of suggesting there may be endless reports until people hope this goes away. Uh, Right now, you're the man in the hot seat. What? How are you taking on board the recommendations of the Independent Review Committee? And what's going to happen from here? Well, I'd like to thank uh, Lester and his committee members for the work they've done. It's been absolutely intense. Uh, We've turned, or they have turned around this review in 17 days. Uh, They've looked in great detail at our operations, at uh, individuals. Um, The the results are painful, of course. We've been, many people on the committee have been involved for, for years. We are a volunteer committee. Uh, I myself have been doing this for 33 years. Mm-hmm. And finding, it, finding out what you don't know um, is a very, very painful lesson. Uh, we will, of course, take on board and have pledged that we will implement uh, as far as we possibly can um, the, the recommendations of the review committee. Um, some of this has practical constraints. Uh, we are moving as fast as we can. Um, I mean, for example, at the moment we are very actively recruiting new childcare workers. Um, we're training or retraining childcare workers. Um, we will we will learn our lesson and we will try and come back uh, and demonstrate best practice within the children's residential home. Right. I mean, Robin, it seems child abuse was actually up quite a lot last year in general, and and it should be no surprise that this sort of thing goes on in residential care homes. Why did it go on for so long without really being uncovered? What was the executive committee doing? I I think the IRC has clearly shown us that our monitoring was uh, not fully up to scratch. Uh, I think the policy of only reviewing CCTV when an incident is reported has proven to be the wrong uh, strategy. Uh, So we are now um, acting to do daily reviews, random checks of CCTV. Um, I think the pandemic, uh, when you mentioned things have been worse across the community, but the pandemic has had a very material effect on us. Uh, Extra stress, extra work for the childcare workers, both at home and on the job. And something very material in my mind, um, without making any excuses, please. I mean, we we have done wrong here and we will try and do right. But something that definitely changed is in at the start of the pandemic, we simply had to stop our volunteer program within the children's residential home. So uh, the the ballpark number I have in my head is we had two and a half thousand hours a month of volunteer work, uh, extra hands, extra people and independent supervision or at least observation within CRH, uh, and that went to zero. So it's made life very much more difficult for the CCWs, and you see that in our turnover rate. Hmm. Presumably those volunteers had uh, quite a lot of heart for the children than if they were donating their time. We had on our roster, roughly speaking, 120. Yeah. uh, And very regular, very dedicated. Um, So, yes, that made a difference, I'm sure, as well, in staff morale. Just an extra friend in the room. And an extra pair of eyes to make sure that things weren't going awry or have people that might be able to report it, as, as opposed to a neighbor looking over the wall from next door. Uh, absolutely. And I do wish to stress that as soon as we were aware of that report, we started looking at ourselves. Um, we made the report initially to SWD and the police of that incident. We then started reviewing our own footage internally, so inside the home. 
And as soon as it became apparent that the problem was more widespread than we could possibly believe, uh, we were horrified. We brought in a professional review team. Steve Vickers and Associates mm -hmm. came in to help us with the CCTV review. Uh, it's them. Uh, it's SVA who uh, identified incidents which were then highlighted to the IRC. Um, all of the information we have found has been passed to the police, but, but the police have uh, much more that they can apply to this. They have much broader resources. Um, so the ongoing investigation of any further CCTV is with them, and the, the issues are then with the courts as to, to where the red lines are. Mm -hmm. And I, I, we welcome that. We'd like everybody to have clarity on where the red lines are. Yeah. And we will make sure we are on the right side of them moving forward. Anthony Wong is also with us. Anthony Wong, is, is these types of reviews, are you, seeing, are you seeing these recommendations as a model that you can now turn to NGOs in society? I think, they... uh, as we have already said uh, in the last couple of days, that I think these incidents and the things that we've learned from the report uh, should set a uh, uh, sort of a, 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 a model that uh, that is to remind all the agencies that uh, a piece, there must be something more sophisticated in place in terms of a system and monitor, monitoring me mechanism. This is uh, without question. I think at, at this point, uh, in terms of the management, uh, or in terms of the frontline uh, professional staff quality, in terms of the management of an agency, and also in terms of the board of directors, and uh, in terms of how we should enhance the capacity and the uh, system design. I think these are something that the entire sector we have to look into, not just in the uh, uh, residential service, not just in children and youth service, but also in other settings that we've been seeing. Okay. I think these are the things that we have to work on very yeah, much. But, but, but Anthony, that's still very like, yeah, we definitely maybe should look at it in the future and review. I mean, is there not a panic right now in similar types of organizations, NGO or government? I, saying, geez, are I, we are we next? Are we going to find out that our staff have been doing this? Should, should they not, <laughs> like, not be thinking about maybe a review? Should they not be in full panic mode as reviewing as their as security as, footage? No. As far as I understand, I think a lot of uh, NGO has been, you know, they are quite alert now that they have to. I mean, for people like serving in the board, they may have to, you know, instruct their staff to look really into, is there anything, there is something similar happening in our setting? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that uh, in addition to this, people are, have been very alert. But in addition to this, we have to look into how we can do a, set up a better uh, system uh, in the near future. And in addition to internally, I think the entire uh, policy level will have to be reformed somehow. As the Secretary for Labor and Welfare has said, I think he's going to engage the Commission and Children to, to, to really look, and look into that. And also the Social Welfare Department, I'm sure that they would, you know, institute some uh, even more stringent uh, requirement and monitoring system on the agency. I think that that would be something uh, happening. We, we've had some high-profile recommendation, uh, high-profile resignations in the organizations. And, and Robin, uh, I have a question for you here from an email person. It's a tough one, but you know, I'm sure you knew this question was going to come from uh, Leon. Why hasn't Robin Hammond stepped down? The IRC hasn't finished its work yet. Um, we are going to look at the entire organization. There is a phase two, which I hope will be starting soon. And within that phase two, the remit is to look at boards, uh, look at our governance, look at how we at the committee level 
uh, behave. Uh, there will come a time when I'm sure the question is absolutely appropriate. For now, I'm working every day, doing everything I can to address this challenge uh, and move the society forward in the right direction. Yeah. Do you think HKSBC can survive this? I mean, you're reliant on a lot of uh, philanthropy from luxury brands, elite. I saw HKSBC in Prestige magazine, you know, Jacqueline Chow t- talking about it. Is all that support going to evaporate now? I mean, would it be better to, to completely rebrand and start again, do you think? We're a much bigger organization than just the children's residential home, uh, although that is a very key part of what we do. Um, there are 60 staff, 66 staff um, at full roster in CRH. Um, the society itself is over 700 staff. Uh, we operate 17-day nurseries, six-day creches, children and family services centers. We do um, psychological outreach. Um, the society, I very much hope, survives. Um, it is our absolute determination to build back better within CRH. And again, as part of phase two, we will be looking at our broader operations. I think they are very, very different. They're different stress levels. Each uh, day nursery, for example, has its own principle. Uh, so you know, there's much that we will do, but we are very much bigger uh, than CRH, and we will turn CRH around into a best practice operation. Have you seen? I, I, would, I, I would also just like to thank the SWD. They they have um, they they are our regulator. They are investigating us, but they have also um, placed a team of professionals with us. That team is observing what we do, how we do it, and in combination with the Steve Vickers review of our video, um, which to date uh, it started on the 13th. To date, Steve Vickers has reported no incidents within the home. Uh, I, I think. We are certainly doing a better job than we were a month ago. Have you seen an impact on the on the other services? I know your crèche service, for example, is really oversubscribed or was oversubscribed. Are people pulling out or is this not really affecting day-to-day uh, business? I think the sector in a whole is facing an enrolment. So if I talk about the day nurseries first, um, there is going to be a, a reduction in enrolment for everybody um, coming out of the pandemic. Uh, birth rates, of course, are down. Um, for the crest service, it's uh, very much oversubscribed. Uh, we would, uh, over, over time, the government should be adding capacity in that area, whether it's with us or other operators. It is a service that is vital. Uh, but certainly the day nurseries will be under pressure. Um, we, we've reached out to the principals, all the service, uh, all the different service heads uh, about two weeks ago. Clearly there is concern amongst them but we're trying to ensure that they can get the message out to parents, to our sponsors, to um, all our supporters, uh, that, that we continue to operate a vital service. And please remember, we did a huge amount of good during the pandemic in all of those other operations. Mm. Uh, the volunteers, as you said, you know, part one of the impacts you've had is the, the lack of volunteers during the COVID pandemic. Are you planning to reverse that? Are you going to try and get those people to come back? And do you think that might be problematic? I'd probably raise it every three or four days. Can we get the volunteers back? And right now, with uh, the DPT, sorry, the SWD on site, uh, we also have, now have uh, psychological uh, help from the Division of Clinical Psych- uh, Psychiatry, sorry, Psychiatric Help. Uh, Rachel Poon and her team started yesterday working in CRH to try and rebuild uh, morale and uh, within our staff. It's probably premature, but we will get them back as soon as we can. 
um, within the constraints of the pandemic. Okay, we, we do also have Anthony Wong with the Anthony Wong. I, I feel like we've been through this before when we had the incidences of elderly being mistreated in homes a couple of years ago. Uh, I don't know if there's, re- to be honest, I don't know if there's been significant improvement in that sector, but, you know, from elderly, small children, uh, is there another vulnerable group that we should be looking out for? Or could, can we learn from our past mistakes and extend it to other groups? Well, I think uh, this incident, and uh, together with other incidents, uh, we uh, we seen in uh, in elderly uh, residential setting. I think, uh, as I said, uh, in the residential setting, uh, which which is a you know a setting which is relatively uh, invisible to the public to the community. I think uh, uh, in the, uh, the the management and also the regulatory uh, authority. We have to do something more, but there's other things that we have to look into, like what, whether we should, you know, establish some more mechanism for the public to report this kind of incidents to, uh, or to expose this kind of incidents to the public, so as to get more attention to it. And and, and also, uh, as I said previously, uh, uh, or the the commission, I would I would think that the commission on children will have to uh, empower more in terms of how we should give them some more statutory power to look into cases like this. I think uh, in the community, we we'll have, we'll have to establish an independent authority which is working on the ground of the welfare of the children, uh, be it in terms of service development, be it in terms of monitoring of the service, and also protecting the rights of the children. I think we should think more about how we should establish at a policy level to have this kind of statutory power uh, for the commission on children to uh, to help uh, to help not just the children but also the parents to protect their own children. Yeah, Robin Hammond, you're you're in the ringer right now, but I mean it may be too early for reflection. But if you could speak to somebody who was in your position, responsible for the elderly or homes for the mentally disabled, what advice would you give them? You know, given what you've been through in the past couple of weeks. I think what I'm reflecting on most is how do you discover what you don't know? Um, and I'm sorry, it sounds a little bit like Donald Rumsfeld in saying that, but um, we should have done better in our monitoring, um, the processes that we had in place. Uh, one of the suggestions from Lester and the IRC is to create an internal audit process, probably ex- uh, independent of the executive committee. Uh, we're examining how we can do that. Uh, as fast as we can, but it, it's not a simple thing to do. Uh, but it, it's really, what don't you know? I, I think is, uh, as a committee level, my biggest takeaway here. Okay. Well, uh, quite a serious uh, subject for a Friday morning, but very, very important care of children in Hong Kong. Thank you very much to Anthony Wong, Business Director at the Hong Kong Council of Social Services for joining us. And of course, Robin Hammond, the Executive Committee Chairman of the Hong Kong Society for the Protection of Children. Uh, completely switching gears now. We are revving up for the Beijing Olymp- Winter Olympics coming up. Uh, 
James, I'm Canadian. I'm going to be pumped up for this one. I'm be ready for action. <laughs> well, the UK, you know, we've got uh, in the in the short track speed skating. You know, I, I'll be rooting for UK, but we've just had an injury, so uh, I'm going to go back to Hong Kong. All right. Well, we have got some athletes uh, today to talk about it. We welcome Patrick Lau, who is a professor with the Department of Sport, Physical Education, and Health at uh, Hong Kong Baptist University, right down the hill from our studios. Uh, good morning, uh, Professor Lau. Good morning, everybody. All right, Professor Lau, uh, tell us about the team. I think we have, what, 13 athletes uh, from Hong Kong going to Beijing. What can you tell us about them? Yeah, we had three athletes uh, qualified in the alpine um, ski and uh, um, short track speed um, skating. Yeah. So, so is it three, uh, three or 13? Three. Three. Three, three athletes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, three athletes. And this is, but this is the most athletes we, we have been participating in Winter Olympics. Yeah, that's already the best record until now. Okay, and I'm guessing they haven't done a lot of their training in Hong Kong. Where have these uh, where have these Hong Kong athletes been doing their training? Yeah, uh, due to the COVID nineteen past two years, two um, two athletes they actually participate in the East, uh, European countries and one. Um, short track uh, uh, training in China, Manning. But even that, they are still interrupted by, by the COVID-19. Um, so, um, briefly uh, summarized, they didn't have a good training. But due to the late development of this ice and snow um, events, we actually in the Ambrose Station, and, and we just go to learn more from the elite athletes all over the world. So, the objective of the goal setting is to do their best, they don't have much stress for that, and and they're very excited and happy to join the the, the best platform, the stage of the world. So, what's our biggest hope for a medal here? Have we got any uh, medal hopes? You mean Hong Kong team? That's right. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just mentioned we are we are late in development, and uh, actually we are in a subtropical uh, region. Um, but so we have we have ice rinks, right? Uh, I believe the the short track speed skating can <laughs> yeah. it, it goes on a regular ice rink. Is that is that correct? Uh, not really. No, because actually the one of the short, short track athletes from Hong Kong, he just mentioned um, the ice rink was has been closed again and again, and he was interrupted by, by this. So it's not true. It, the venue is not ready for them to that's really sad i mean i've seen the ice the ice rink in festival walk where i live you know is uh, has been is been closed for so long but surely the elite athletes it should be opened up yes, for them to, yes. to practice that, right that, that's actually raised one point actually when we refer to the very successful experience from euro um and, and china the venue of the elite training and the public use have been separate so we, we don't need to care too much about the COVID if we have very uh, close man- management and monitor for the for the virus. So it's one thing. That's why uh, the Europe and the China, they keep training because they separate the mass participation and easy training in snow or, or ice sports. So, Patrick, I'm sure that to get good enough to qualify for the Olympics, these people haven't, you know, been been going to school and living in Hong Kong their whole lives. I mean, if you're qualifying as a as a speed skater, you probably mm-hmm. lived abroad where you could go speed skating six days a week as part of your mm-hmm. training. How does Hong Kong find these athletes? Like, do they reach out to Hong Kong and say, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm, I'm a permanent resident, even though I'm living abroad, mm-hmm. I would like to compete for Hong Kong"? Yeah. Or does the Hong Kong government uh, keep in touch with the diaspora and try to seek these people mm-hmm. out? 
according to our our um, record, majority of the Winter Olympic athletes they um, staying in foreign countries like Canada. Um, so most of them actually they start their training over the foreign countries, but not in Hong Kong. And then when they compete, have a better record, they come back to Hong Kong and apply for this qualification through the uh, National Olympic Committee in Hong Kong. So this is what we have. Um, the local literature uh, Winter Olympic athletes is not uh, it's not uh, too much though, too many. Uh, we don't have this. So um, we we have the uh, athletes coming back from foreign countries, and they have the residential qualification so they can represent Hong Kong. Sure. I mean, which is totally understandable. We're not we're not really equipped for for developing those those types of things. Um, uh, switching gears a little bit, the, looking at you know the Winter Olympics for Beijing, uh, quite unusual. It's going to be the first city to ever host both the summer and the Winter Olympics. Uh, I'm sure China and, and Beijing, the city in particular, are going to take a lot of pride in that. Can you tell us a little bit about what this means for, for the development of sport in China and Beijing in particular? Yeah, you, you mentioned the, the record test um, Beijing will be the first summer and winter Olympic host. So I believe if you understand China, uh, sport is under the national strategy. So this is what they employ the mega sport events to promote the international relationships, their role, their position, and their, their, their development uh, around the world stage. So this, is, this means a lot for, for Beijing and the world say, okay, this time, their slogan is together for a shared future. So when they when they make this record, they also would like to promote the message of harmony, peacemaker, and go together and share the bright future. So in a kind of different max, they want to show the whole, the, the China. Uh, they want to show the whole world, uh, Beijing, China is very welcoming them to 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 join a big event and all over other relationship of the world. So it's it's a to me it's a it's a diplomatic relationship event. So they want to show a, a goodwill to the whole world. At the same time, they they also have so many first time record. For example, this is the first time the Olympic venues used the um, green energy by wind by wind chill. So this is the first time they did it. So another record is they turned the uh, swimming pool water kill into ice kill. So this is another record they are making. Uh, another one, the gender issues, they closing the gap between the male and female athletes. So they, they try very hard to produce the, the, the first time record for every single aspect through the uh, Winter Olympics hosting Beijing. Hmm. We saw after the Summer Olympics, we saw queues of uh, parents taking their kids to fencing lessons and karate lessons. Do you think we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, an uptick in people wanting to go to uh, Japan to go skiing or to go to the ice rink to do skating after this? I mean, are we going to see... Oh, I think so. I think so. Actually, in China and Hong Kong has been a tradition to ski during uh, winter. We fly to Korea, we fly to Japan for, or even European countries, France, Italy, Germany. Uh, this is uh, a tradition and hobby in Hong Kong. But China, when they apply for the hosting of this Winter Olympics, they promise to um, to nurture more than 300 million people for winter sports, which is snow and ice. And they are doing this 
uh, over in, in the past seven years. So I think they are very good. Uh, according to the government report, they actually achieved this target already, and they built a lot of um, indoor snow and ice venue in southern China. Uh, not only uh, on the, the northern. Could we have one of those in Hong Kong? Could we have an indoor skiing in Hong Kong? Oh, of yeah. Course, of course. Of course. <laughs> Actually, the closer one is in Guangzhou. In Guangzhou, they have an uh, indoor snow venue. And many Chinese, uh, many Hong Kong residents, um, before the pandemic, they actually visit and stay there for the ski, indoor ski. Yeah, so uh, we can uh, consider that if... Uh, uh, we, we would like to. I think it's uh, very welcome by us. Yeah. Okay. What are we going to be able to see on the on the TV? Then we've got uh, Sydney Chu in the in the short track skating. Is there like rounds or heats for that? Will we be able to watch that? Um, yes, I, I, I believe according to the TV uh, contract, um, the whole Winter Olympic event will be broadcast. Yeah, I, I believe so. But in of terms course, of how of how yeah yeah how often will they be on? Is it like it, it, they'll do a couple of rounds and 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 go through to, to like semifinals? Does it work like that? Like the swimming? I think they they uh, I think they will progress the whole process as I understand. But it depends on the schedule they they pack. Uh, we didn't know what kind of event they they may pick because uh, all uh, the events will. Uh, you will go through uh, at the same time. There are so many uh, time conflicts between each event, so uh, they didn't they didn't broadcast the exact schedule as I know. But they will keep uh, broadcasting the whole pro- uh, the whole event. Well, ho- uh, within ho- the fourteen days. Well, ho- yeah. Hopefully, we'll get the word out about when our Hong Kong athletes are are uh, are competing. Maybe we'll even get some live coverage. Uh, yeah, so- definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be looking forward to that. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Patrick Lau, professor from the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at Hong Kong Baptist University for coming on today, Patrick. Thank you very much. And I'd like to uh, read an e- a message from our Facebook board from our, our top fan. I guess if you comment a lot on our Facebook page, you can be a top fan. Uh, TC says, I always find the Winter Olympics more exciting than the summer. The speed of the events and an element of danger has always left me breathless. <sighs> The 2022 Winter Olympics will revisit the issues surrounding the Tokyo Olympics last year, specifically holding an international sporting event during a global pandemic. I wish to see professional hockey players participate. I hear you, brother. And I'm very disappointed to see the NHL pulling out, partially because of Chinese quarantine protocols on anyone tested positive in Beijing. Nonetheless, I wish Team Canada good luck, as well as the two Hong Kong athletes. I don't have a problem reading that email. Thank you very much to... uh, TC for kicking in. We also got an email from David on the uh, comments from the top of the show. Uh, pretty angry, but he does note that, you know, why don't we have a telephone number for free child psychologists, for government social workers, and for parents to ring up during these COVID times? Thank you very much for that. Uh, thank you very much, James Ockenden, for joining me today. Thank you for producer Yuki Tsong and my number one sound master, Andy. We want to make sure that everybody tunes in again Monday when Jim Gould and Mike Rouse will be back on Back Chat, burning the place up. A quick check on the weather. It is mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches. Misty at first, maximum temperature around 21 degrees today. Moderate to fresh easterly winds. What's our outlook for the weekend? Temperatures falling, following appreciably tomorrow night. Cold in the morning from Sunday, taking us right into Lunar New Year Day. The current temperature is 19 degrees Celsius and we have 92% humidity. It's time for house cleaning. When cleaning windows, be careful. Don't lean on the sashes, as that can make them loose and is very dangerous. If a window won't open or close smoothly, don't use force to open or close it. You can lubricate the hinges instead. 
Ask a qualified person to inspect your windows according to the standards and procedures set by the building's department. Hey, the time is 9.32, and now the news. A representative of local businesses has welcomed the reduction in quarantine for overseas arrivals from 21 to 14 days. But George Cotherly, who's the vice president or vice chairman, rather, of the International Chamber of Commerce, says two weeks is still too long to encourage inbound business travelers. An expert in geriatric medicine says people shouldn't obsess about vaccination in care homes, and officials should study why so few residents have had jabs. Jean Wu from the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University made the comment after the government said yesterday that unvaccinated people would soon be prevented from moving into homes. And residents of Yat Kwai House at the Kwai Chung Estate are able to leave their housing block this morning after an extended five-day lockdown came to an end. Over the five days, more than 14,800 tests were carried out and 139 confirmed cases were found. Those are the headlines from RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you, too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. It's Friday. It's the Morning Brew and I'm Phil Whelan. It's the day of the week when we start with a handful of great tracks from Hong Kong bands and artists. So producer and musician Mark Rawson will be with us at 10.10 for a listen to some recent work by Hybrid Stereo, Murphy's Law, Flying Daggers and Calvin Tram. So most of the music we hear in this little session each week is new and it's been recorded and produced in the bedrooms and kitchens of Hong Kong for obvious reasons. They were hungry or tired. <laughs> anyway, at 10 past 11, Danny Hicks is going to be with you for this week's Sports and All. Oh my God, this is brilliant. Hang on. Anyway, he's still busy reporting on the Aussie Open for AFP, so likely today is going to be brought to you in black and white steam audio only. As well as tennis, we've got a 2022 Winter Olympics preview and most likely some footy. 11.40, musical coffee break for you with singer-songwriter Paul Ross. Paul's a regular morning brew minstrel. He's going to be singing a couple of songs live to help your Friday along. And then after 12, it's Marshy Movie Time. Join James on Facebook Live as well for his streaming hits and misses of the week. Look, forget it, I just can't cut into that. Let's let it finish. This is Al Hurt, it's the Green Hornet. <laughs> 